You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Amen. Thanks everyone for coming into the middle. That's really, really helpful. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. And uh, Advent is a word that we don't normally have in English outside of this. At least not in its short six-letter version. It comes from two Latin words, um, AD, Ad, and Vent, which... um, Breaking it down, A.D. actually means not Anno Domini, but it means to or towards. And then vent comes from the verb to come, which is veneri in Latin. Who did Latin in school? Well, I was, must have been really naughty because I had to do it. I cried the day they told me I was doing Latin. And I had to do it for two years. Anyway, I don't have to do it anymore, but... Over the years, I've come to love the, the roots of languages and the roots of words. And um, maybe you do too, but it's a wonderful um, pastime. The word adventure comes from the word advent. And the idea of adventure is to move out from here into the future into something that's exciting, um, something that's daring even, and something that might be a little bit unknown, maybe a whole lot unknown. And we were... Uh, farewelling a family today who is going away up to a place that they said was 11 hours from anywhere and that anywhere was already three hours outside of Darwin. So that's uh, 14 hours from Darwin they're going um, on an adventure and it really is. They don't really know exactly what they're going to. In the calendar of the church down through the years the uh, church fathers began to realize that in order to um, build up to Christmas they needed this advent. The anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And every Sunday, we would take a, the church would take a different aspect of um, Jesus Christ coming and expound it and go into it with readings and prayers and things like that. And so we, as a church, have done that over the last number of years, as far as I know. Uh, I came from a church that didn't do that. Um, I came from a church that didn't even have a Christmas Day celebration originally until a new pastor came along. And then we all started to go to church on Sunday. But I'm glad that we do it here, because otherwise we would be at the mercy of the rampant commercialism that has taken over um, our society in the West, isn't it? Halloween is no sooner over. It couldn't be over sooner, but as soon as it's over, um, out come the crackers and the tinsel. What do you call crackers here? Christmas crackers? Bonbons, okay. Out they come, and all the Christmas trappings are out there to sell. And people go mad buying these things. And we go mad buying these things. And um, we don't really think an awful lot sometimes about what the real meaning of Christmas is. But Advent helps us to do that. And uh, while shops and companies um, profit from Christmas in one way, in a monetary way, we as believers can profit from Advent in another way as well. We can profit by allowing this time to bring us into a richer relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're going to look at um, the subject of the kingship of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at the, a Christmas carol called Hark the Angels Sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. It's a carol that was written by a man called Charles Wesley. He was the brother of John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church way back in the 1700s. And um, we're not going to expound, as Stuart did, the whole carol, because it is absolutely brimming full of theology all the way through 
um, different, different aspects of Christ, uh, what he came to do, how he was born, and uh, his coming, and everything else. So we can't do that. We're only going to do um, glory to the newborn king. Another carol which uh, really tells us a lot about the king of kings is one of my favorite carols, one of the most rousing carols that there are, sometimes not even called a carol, but it is the Hallelujah Chorus. Every single year in uh, Carols by Candlelight down there in the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl, where, by the way, my wife came to know the Lord 20-something years ago, um, there they finish off with the Hallelujah Chorus, and they sing, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he shall reign forever and ever. What a way for a city to end the year by singing praise to the great King Jesus. It's fantastic. And then you all remember uh, that little man who's got the symbols and he clashes them and it's all over. Yeah, what a wonderful thing. But let's have a look at how Advent, and particularly this um, aspect of the kingship of Jesus, speaks into our lives as believers today, especially in this week when we begin to feel like a despised minority. Every year, Christmas has so much to say to us. But this year in particular... After the people of Australia and the government of Australia have made some pretty rebellious choices, we as believers need to hear again that it will be well for us. And one of the ways in which we can hear that is to hear again that we worship a sovereign king, that we are subjects of a king who knows the end from the beginning. And we will tonight in a short period of time look at many scriptures throughout the Bible Old and New Testaments which tell us of the kingship of Jesus Christ how he came, how he was prophesied and how he will finish things up again later on a really really important thing for us now um, the kingship of Jesus is often cloaked in the language of Messiah and central to Christian and Jewish theology is the whole notion of Messiah. What is a Messiah? Well, Messiah comes from a Hebrew verb meaning anointed. Um, and anointed means to have um, a horn of oil, a cow's horn perhaps, full of oil poured over you and you were pronounced to be the next king or some other important task. So um, central, as I said, to Jewish and Christian doctrine or or theology is that there would be a Messiah and that, that the anointed one would come and would be the king of Israel and uh, the first king of Israel was Saul and he was anointed by Samuel I, I don't know if you remember that story but Samuel the prophet anointed Saul and then he also anointed his successor David while Saul was still alive and um, David became the anointed of God Saul was the anointed before that and even though Saul became a wicked king, David had such a fear of God that he would not lay a finger on the anointed of God. It was a very, very, very important position. David came to rule as God's anointed for God on the earth, but the Messiah that we have come to worship came to rule as God. And he will come again in power and take up his earthly reign here on earth. We depart from Jewish theology here uh, because we believe that the Messiah has already come. And we have a name for the Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son 
or so it was supposed, of Joseph the carpenter and the son actually of Mary, who, had, who became pregnant through an intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. And um, sadly, the Jewish people are still waiting for their Messiah. And uh, they argue very, very strongly that he hasn't come yet. Some Jewish people have believed that another Messiah has come. He has died um, some years ago. He was a very, very old rabbi, very wise man, but he died. And they're still waiting for him to come back again. But that leaves the Jewish people, I believe, in a dangerous place because they're open to false messiahs now. And they're also open to what may become later the Antichrist. I want us to read from our Bibles from Matthew. And uh, Matthew is a book that was written for Jewish people. And it's got a big emphasis on the messiahship or the kingship of Jesus. And that's why the very opening line in the book of Matthew is about the Messiah. So Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, we'll go to Matthew chapter 3 verse 1, and we'll break the sequence by going to Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, and uh, we'll look there at these readings. So if you can, please follow, in um, whether you've got a paper Bible or a phone Bible. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, I'm reading from the NIV. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I'll read it again. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Does anybody know where the word Messiah is in that? Anybody know? What, where is the word for Messiah in that line? That's right. Okay, Christ. Christ is actually the Greek word for Messiah. It means anointed one. So we could read it again. A record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we go to chapter 2, verse 1. So we might have to flick the page, um, depending on how your Bible's laid out. And we begin there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard, these, heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now we'll go to chapter 3, verse 1. Because up to now we've been talking about the Messiah and the king. And now we'll talk about the kingdom. There's, uh, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So, what image of a king are we thinking of when we think of king? We live in a parliamentary democracy, but it's actually a monarchy. Um, so, Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is the king. 
what kind of king is he? So in the world today, there, there are two kinds of kings or queens. And the um, first one is a constitutional monarch, such as our Queen Elizabeth. Um, and the second one is an absolute monarch, such as Salman of Saudi Arabia. Um, but I think we should think of Jesus more in the sense of the king of Saudi Arabia. Not in character, but in type of rule that he administers. God's Messiah is an absolute monarch. He's not a constitutional monarch like Queen Elizabeth, who is subject to the parliament and subject to the laws of the land. And she signs laws into being after the parliament has debated them. She doesn't really get a say in them. But she has her right to have a say, but she doesn't get the vote. And um, she opens up parliament with pomp and majesty. And it's supposed to be her government. It is her government. But really and truly, she has to rule... Uh, as a constitutional monarch, more by influence rather than by power. But in Saudi Arabia, it's a totally different thing because the king there has got absolute power and he deposes people and he delegates to whoever he wishes. Um, just a few weeks ago, his son, who's also called Salman, um, deposed several hundred people. He just demoted them or got rid of them at the drop of a hat. And no questions can be asked or no complaints can be made because his word is absolute. And that's the kind of monarch, really, that Jesus is. And, um, and sometimes, uh, regarding his reign, there is confusion, because some people say, if he's absolute monarch, why are all these things happening in the world today? That's really inconsistent with the whole notion of an absolute monarch. Well, we have to have an understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God, because there are two kinds of kingdom of God or his kingdom falls into a major set and a subset, we could say. And the first part of the kingdom of God is um, that reign of the Trinity, which has always been, always was, always is, and always will be. God says uh, or in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, is the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then in Isaiah 47, verse 10, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. And um, I don't know how many uh, of you pass through Warrandyte on your way to school or to work, but um, a lot of us do. And uh, there's a cafe in there called the Now and Not Yet. Have you heard of it? Or maybe you've had coffee or a meal in there. Well, that uh, is alluding to the whole idea of the kingdom of God, which is present now and which is not yet come. And so that uh, brings us to the second part of the kingdom of God. Um, there's a theologian called Don Carson, whom I recommend to you. He's a, a very, very, um, he's a fantastic theologian. And he, is, he says this, um, there is a subset of God's sweeping reign under which there is life and salvation. And this is the second part of the kingdom of God. And it's only believers which are in that subset. Everybody in the world who is ever born, everything that was ever made is subject to the rule of God. But only believers are subject in that special um, subset of God's reign, which is called the kingdom of heaven. And... Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless God, unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And we need to make this distinction today because there are people out there who say everyone is in the kingdom of God for life and for salvation. And this is not true. The Bible clearly states that there are two kinds of people, those who are presently outside the kingdom and those who are inside the kingdom. That's why we need evangelism. And uh, it was so encouraging. Yesterday I got a phone call. I don't remember what I was doing, but um, uh, a member of this church phoned me up and he said, Sam, I've got great news for you. He said, I led a, a young lady to the Lord today. And uh, this man is continually evangelizing and uh, in his line of work. Uh, and so he was overjoyed that he had led a, a young lady to the Lord who had been in deep trouble um, of many kinds. And as he expounded to her uh, all that Jesus is and all that he means, she trusted him as her Lord and Savior and came into the kingdom of heaven. So this monarch, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who was born on Christmas in that rustic kind of a thing over there called a manger, um, is the king of all creation and he's also the king of believers and according to the Bible Jesus is just as real as any king in history past or present I have a feeling that sometimes we as Christians um, when we think of the Christmas story or the Easter story we can get into some kind of a fairy tale type stupor and begin to see um, the whole thing in some kind of hazy, ethereal kind of way, which isn't really happening. We know what's happened, but we can't really picture it as an actual event as would happen in our own lives or on a day-to-day -day basis in anyone's life. But I want us to realize that this happening almost 2,000 years ago, where Jesus came into the world, is as real as any of our births. It is that real. It is not ethereal, it's not cartoon-like, it's not like um, you're watching Tintin or something like that, or some of those Christmas cards, some of this, you know. It's not like that. It's three-dimensional, and it's real. And um, as such, we have to see him more and more as our supreme leader, our governor, supreme authority, the one who calls all the shots, that absolute monarch. And... Uh, on earth, we don't have very many good examples of humans who were absolute monarchs, who really were benevolent and did things that were consistent with a good king. Very often when, when someone gets absolute power, they're absolutely corrupted. And I think um, a lot of what's going on in many of our nations, especially the United States is in the news right now, but the, the corruption that has been going on for years and years and years within the halls of power. Um, some people cite that Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore, the man who founded Singapore, who set it up from an agrarian society and made it into one of the most prosperous states in the world within a short period of time. They say he was a benevolent leader. Some say King Abdullah of Jordan was also. Some say the Sultan of Oman, who is alive today, is one such. But usually, human leaders are not so benevolent. But Jesus Christ is. He's an absolute ruler who's absolutely just and absolutely uncorrupted. And he was born in one of those little things over there um, 2,000 years ago. See, it might be very hard for people in the West, especially Australians and Irish. I am 
Irish and I'm British and maybe very soon I'll be Australian as well and none of that helps me to accept an absolute monarch um, we like to be independent we like to not have anyone to tell us what to do but as believers we have to set that aside and realize that we are subjects of an absolute monarch but one who loves us who really loves us more than anyone else in the world more than our moms and dads more than our brothers and sisters more than our girlfriends or wives or husbands um, we are loved more by him than anyone else one thing that closely correlates with the whole idea of the kingship of Jesus is his sovereignty sovereignty means that he is, has absolute uh, say in all the affairs of the entire universe and um, I just would like to look at five different things um, that Jesus' kingship says to us. The first thing is um, Jesus is the king above all kings. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard Michael W. Smith sing, but my generation was pretty fond of him, and he's still going strong, I believe. But one of the songs he sings is, Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Does anybody know that song? Yeah. All right, even younger people know it. That's really good. Does anyone like to lead us in? Well, maybe later. Um, this morning we had a few people who wanted to break into song after hearing that. Above all powers, above all kings. Jesus is the king above all kings. And these words agree with the title that has been given to Jesus in the book of Revelation. For he is called the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Revelation 17 verse 14 says, They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So basically, here we have um, the scripture saying that some body or other evil body will wage war against the lamb but the lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and then it goes on to say and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers so if they're going to wage war against the lamb don't be surprised if they're waging war against you because you are a follower of jesus perhaps perhaps you're not yet a follower of jesus i would encourage you tonight to ally yourself with the king of kings because there's no other real other place to be as a human if you're not allied with the king of kings you're in dire trouble serious trouble and interestingly interestingly this title of king of kings and lord of lords is actually given to god himself the trinity in first timothy chapter 6 verse 14 it says and paul is writing and he says to timothy i charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our lord jesus christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. So Jesus Christ himself is called the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet the Trinity is called the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then, um, not only is Jesus the king above all kings, but he is the king before all kings. And we find out in Revelation chapter 1 that God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. 
But once again, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus Christ calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. Verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So this little baby over here, who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, transcends time because he is the first and the last. How comforting that should be to all of us, especially in these days when we are becoming more and more um, like a weird minority. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says also in backing this up, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. What a wonderful title for Jesus, the ruler of kings. So not only is Jesus the king above all kings, the king before all kings, but he is also the king after all kings. His kingdom will never end. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God says to the house of David, to David himself, Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. But if we look into the history of Israel, we'll see that in 587 BC, the house of David finished in terms of ruling. His bloodline didn't finish, but his reign and his dynasty appeared to finish for all time. But we know that this did not happen because while Jesus Christ is alive and while he continues to exist and he always will exist, there will be a son of David on the throne. And this is spoken of by the angel in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 when he says to Mary, He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So when all other kings have come and gone, Jesus Christ will be reigning. Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't that really wonderful? That we are on the side of the one who will never be voted out, even if people try. They try and to kick him out of Western society, but they will fail. Jesus Christ is the king above all kings. He's the king before all kings. He's the king after all kings. And strangely, he's the king behind all kings. Let me explain. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says, this is about God. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And Paul backs this up in Romans chapter 13 where he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. That's the King James rendering because I can't remember the NIV one. But the powers that be are ordained of God. And we just had a little thought about that earlier in the prayer meeting. How come um, God sets up you know, people that are opposed to him in power and authority? It's a hard one. But boiling it all down, they're set up for his purposes. And for his purpose. All of history's benevolent leaders and all of history's despots have all served the purpose of God in one way or another. They will not be excused from their horrible deeds by doing that. But nevertheless, they have served God's timeless purpose in a way which we can't understand right now. But this is what Revelation tells us. 
And we should be encouraged by the fact that none of the antics of earthly rulers will ever take God by surprise or ever upset his timetable. And uh, I remember as a boy um, hearing stories about the Soviet Union and China and Eastern Europe. We've even, we've even got people from Eastern Europe in our own congregation now. And um, we saw pictures of these little children with red scarves, and they were called the pioneers, and they were totally kept from the gospel. And they were taught atheistic doctrine. And we wondered, how would they ever hear? But in 1990, 1991, all of that came tumbling down, and the gospel was once again allowed to go into those nations with new leaders. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But God has a timetable. And we in the West seem to be sinking into a time that the Eastern Europeans and the Chinese have, have sunk into or are presently in. And we need to be praying. We need to be seeking counsel almost from some of these persecuted people as to how to live under um, adverse governments, things like that. We need to learn how to do that. Otherwise, we're going to be trapped. And we need to learn how to stand up for Jesus in the little things because if we don't do that in the little things, we will definitely fall when, come, when the big things come. So Jesus is the king behind all kings. He's the king after all kings. He's the king before all kings, and he's the king above all kings. So where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us as a people under the king. We're under the king of kings. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says that it says therefore God exalted him that's Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father if the kings of the earth are under Jesus if he's the ruler of kings then how much more the simple ordinary people of the earth we are under the king of kings as well as I said in, uh, earlier there are two ways we can be under him we can be under him in the general sense that God is the ruler of the universe or we can be under him in the particular sense as he is the, ki the king of the kingdom of heaven and uh, as such the implications of that kingship are that he must have our worship he must have our obedience and he must have our love but if we come at that from duty it's the wrong way to come to it we come to worship him in the best form possibly in a joyful way. We come to obey him in a joyful way. We come to love him joyfully, not under oppression. Not like, have you seen the pictures from North Korea? How all these people have been so brainwashed that they stand there and clap for ages and smile and cry when their leader walks past because they are totally um, brainwashed and they are totally driven by duty. Um, to worship him and to adore him and obey him. That's not the kind of uh, attraction that Christ should have for us. It should be totally voluntary and joyful. So, concluding, what does it mean for us today that Jesus Christ, the newborn king, is actually in place? He's reigning. What does it mean? especially in a week where Australians have made some very 
bad choices. And um, in a week where it seems that the kingdom of Satan has advanced in this land, where we have had setbacks, what does it mean for us? Well, this king of kings will settle accounts. It's only a matter of time before he comes to settle accounts. And whether we meet him in the air or whether we go to be with him, whether these lawmakers go to be with him, or um, not to be with him in the sense of um, going to heaven, but if they stand before him in judgment, he will settle accounts. And um, this should not um, cause us to relax in our efforts in the kingdom of God. It shouldn't, on the other hand, cause us to crawl into a hole and wait for him to come and hide away because we think we can do nothing. No, it must encourage us in our opposition to the rule of Satan, not just the rule of Satan in our own lives, but the rule of Satan in the life of the nation. We must oppose it. We must stand against it. Stand up for, against it in prayer and in um, word and in deed and resist it. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Um, Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Another line from the Hallelujah Chorus. He will come, brothers and sisters, and he will put this mess right. And he will judge those who have rebelled against him. And he will exalt those who have bowed the knee before him in this life. No matter how evil a government or a people can get, or a ruler or a despot, they all will have their little day. That's a quote from a little hymn by Henry Francis, Henry Francis Light. When it says, ebbs out life's little day. No matter how long we live, whether it's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years, it's all a little day. And it will pass, and we will all come to stand before the Lord. So let's stand in opposition to the rule of Satan, in our own lives and in the lives of the nation because the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And it isn't by might. It's not by power. It's not by grabbing a gun and going and doing it. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that power is quite considerable. That's an understatement. I want to encourage us by going back to Eastern Europe again. And I know we have people who, in our congregation right now, who lived there for a long time and um, have seen big changes. This week I watched a documentary in Russia. And um, I remember as a boy standing talking to a soldier in the British Army, and he admitted to being afraid of Russia. Um, and what they had, and their, their atomic weapons and everything else. That would have been a way back in the early 80s, perhaps, or late 70s. And um, atheistic communism took hold of Russia in 1917 when Tsar Nicholas was deposed and his family murdered. Vladimir Lenin took over and Trotsky um, and others like that, listening to the teaching of Karl Marx. And they established a despotic 
type of government that lasted until 1990, 1991, that time, when the people of Russia rebelled against it. The people of Eastern Europe rebelled against that kind of leadership. And um, there was a young man in the Kremlin then. He was an officer. He, uh, I believe he was in East Germany. His name was Vladimir Putin. Many have heard of Vladimir Putin. What do you think of Vladimir Putin? Baddie, goodie? I thought he was a baddie. I thought he was completely bad. But after this uh, number of weeks and months just reading about him and thinking about him, I believe that the word of God is true where it says he puts kings in places and he deposes. The Lord has raised this man up because under him 25,000 new churches have been planted or built in Russia. Did you believe that? 25,000 new churches. The the Orthodox Church was almost obliterated. 200,000 priests were murdered by the communists and countless other practicing Orthodox believers. But today, 70% of Russia adheres to the Orthodox Church. And um, family values are being preached from the very Kremlin. I will not endorse everything um, Putin does, but I just wanted to say, to say this to you to give you hope that even in this world, God can raise up people which will turn, who will turn things around under God. In the space of 17 years, Russia has changed tremendously. We are in the decline phase where the church is declining in the West, the United States, Australia. It's still declining here and would be declining very fast if it weren't for the immigrants from India, Africa, um, some of the places like Singapore, Malaysia, uh, lots of Christians coming from there. They help to keep the church numbers up. But just have hope that the King of Kings can put in place people who will turn it around. Will you pray to that end? Pray for revival? We've been uh, in our um, team talking about revival and praying for revival for some time. And um, with the events of last week, I think we got a little bit discouraged, a little bit sad, a lot sad, maybe even a bit angry, a bit scared. But there's no need to be because our King is in place. And he does all that he pleases. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I wondered, how can the reign of an infinite God increase? I thought about it for a while, and the only way I can see it increasing is if his rule and authority increases in the lives of each one of us day by day. That's the way in which it increases. And if we're with him for heaven, in heaven, and we open ourselves up to him more and more for the endurance of eternity, his reign Will never cease to grow. Um, by the way, if the government of the earth shall be upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, surely your issue is a small thing. And someone, I heard someone say this week, with God there's only small issues. <laughs> there's no big issues. 
May the Lord bless us as we consider the kingship of Jesus Christ. And if you have what you see in your life and feel as a really big issue, take it to him today. There'll be some of us around here with whom you can pray and uh, talk after the service. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you for coming to Bethlehem's manger. We thank you for setting aside all that glory. We thank you for setting aside all that power and coming to the earth for 33 years to live as we live and to suffer the things that we suffer all so that your Father would be glorified, all so that we could be saved. And we thank you that you are reigning today at the right hand of your Father in heaven and that you will come to this earth again to set up your earthly reign as it always was intended to be. And we thank you that this day will come without a doubt and will reverse all these things that we have done to mess up this world. You will make all things new Your word says in Acts, he will come to restore all things. And we look forward to that day with great anticipation. In the meanwhile, Lord, help us to live in this fallen world as subjects of your reign. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.